Praise God. It's so exciting to see God working in hearts. This is what church is all about. It's not just about coming to hear a sermon. It's not about just coming to hear the word, but it's about seeing God transform hearts. And we've seen that this morning with Alex. We've seen what God is doing in Willie's heart. And I just praise God for how he's moving in this congregation. I was visiting with somebody actually just yesterday, and they were talking about how you can just sense the Holy Spirit in this place. When you walk in here, they said, it used to be different when I walked in here a few years ago, but he said, something's changed over the past few months, and I can just tell you, I sense it. I don't know what it was like before, but I can tell that you've been praying, and I can tell that God is filling this place with his Holy Spirit. As I begin this morning like to have another word of prayer. And in the prayer time, I just, I'm going to leave a little time of silence for you in the silence of your own heart, just to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to open up your hearts and say, God, is there something you want to say to me that's going to make a difference to me today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're here because we want to know you more. Like the scripture reading, that's, that's the one thing. Everything else is valueless compared to this. We want to know you. We want to love you. So now we just come to you and we open up our hearts. Lord, we're not worthy, but we just want to ask that because of the grace of Jesus Christ that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Thank you. Thank you that you fulfill your promise. Thank you that you will come where the two or three of us are met together, that you will be here and that you will speak to us. May we walk away transformed by having had an encounter with Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. David Livingston was one of my boyhood heroes. I never dreamed about becoming a pastor, but I, I thought about going to the jungles of Africa, and I thought about going and becoming a missionary, and I thought, you know, maybe that would be an adventuresome life that I could live for God. But if you actually read about some of the things that David Livingston went through, I'm not sure that that would be such an amazing, idealistic life that I had pictured as a boy. But David Livingston, the story is told about his life, and it's so inspiring to me, the way that he lived his life. But there's one day that you read about in his journal. He's in a place that he's never been before. He's up against challenges that he's never faced before. He's in a place called Linyanti, near the uh, Zambesi River. He has behind him the African desert, and before him is the river that he needs to cross. But at the river, there are all of these savages just waiting for him. They're waiting to take David Livingston out. They say that this was the most dangerous moment of his life. As he was there on the banks of this river, he had the choice. He could have turned back. He could have gone away from the dangers. But he knew that people needed to hear about Jesus. And so he camped there on the edge of the river. And as he camped there that night, he records in his journal what took place. He said, I read that Jesus came and said, this is from Matthew 28 that he's reading. He would take the time in the evening. He would light a candle. They would say that you would look at David Livingston's tent and it would light up because he was taking time to be with Jesus. It says, I read that Jesus came and said, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. 
It is the word of a gentleman in the most sacred and strictest honor, and there is an end on it. So the next morning, he crossed that river, and he went on to face that danger because he knew that Jesus was with him. He knew that he had the promise of Jesus, that Jesus would never leave him and would never forsake him. And David Livingston loved Jesus with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his mind. So we continue on this sermon series talking about first things first, to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. We've talked, first of all, about how Mary was willing to give her all to Jesus. And she was willing to do that because there sat Lazarus at the table. And Lazarus was her brother who had been raised from the dead. And as she saw the goodness of God in her life in the midst of the worst and most trying circumstance, she realized that Jesus was worth loving. And you and I can remember that Jesus is worth loving as we notice his goodness in our lives, as we take the time to actually count our blessings, as we take the time to believe that he works all things together for good. Then last week we talked about how Mary was the one who Jesus had cast seven demons out of. Mary was the one who had fully experienced the forgiving grace of Jesus. Not because she was a worse sinner than Simon. Jesus made that clear. But instead, she had experienced the love of Jesus because she had realized that she was a sinner. And so we challenged each other this last week that we were going to go on a journey of praying that prayer to Search me and know my heart. Try me and know if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting from Psalm 139. Were you blessed this week in praying that prayer? Did he reveal any boxes in the back corner of the closets of your heart that needed to be taken out? I know he keeps doing that for me. He keeps revealing those things, those things that just bring that division in the relationship between us, the things that that really aren't necessary. This morning, I want to look at something else in the life of Mary, something that brought her to that point of being willing to take that flask of that precious oil of spikenard and to just throw it on Jesus, to just pour it out on Jesus because she loved him so much. There's something a little earlier on in the life of Mary that gives us a picture of how she came to love Jesus that much. Go with me to Luke chapter 7. Sorry, we're actually going to go to Luke chapter 10 today. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. Here Luke's telling a story about when one of the first visits of Jesus to the home of Martha. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. What an incredible thing. Martha says, here comes Jesus, and Jesus is coming to my town, and I'm going to welcome Jesus into my house. Isn't that what we're to do? And we know that Jesus is standing at the door, that he's knocking, that that the greatest thing we can do is to invite Jesus to come. Martha loved Jesus, and Martha decides that she's going to welcome him into her house. She must have been a person of some means. And verse 39 says this, And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Martha invites Jesus into her house and she has a sister. Her sister's name is Mary. And Mary, where do we find Mary? 
She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now to sit at the feet of someone was, was where you would sit if you were a disciple of someone, if you were receiving their teaching, if you were treating them like a, a rabbi or a master, that you wanted to understand what they had to teach you. And so she's there sitting at the seat of, feet of Jesus and she's just soaking it in. She's absorbing all that Jesus has to say to her. She's fixated on Jesus. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted. But Martha was distracted. You know, we live in a very distracted world. Have you noticed it? All you need to do is is watch and see conversations take place. Even if you go out to dinner somewhere, you're going to notice a lot of times that you'll find the guy and the girl are spending a lot of time on their cell phone while they're on their date night. Have you ever noticed that? We live in a distracted world. We live in a world of Facebook, of YouTube, of, of every digital uh, thing possible to, to grasp our attention. We have movies. We have TV. We have all kinds of things that are seeking our attention. What was Martha distracted by? Martha was distracted with much serving. Here, Martha is doing one of the most valuable things possible. Martha is fixing a meal for Jesus, the Son of God on earth. He's there. He's at her house. What more important thing could Martha possibly be doing? She's wanting to provide the best possible meal she can for Jesus. She's doing everything possible to to fix the meal and to make it this great feast that Jesus is going to enjoy. Jesus is tired. He's been on a long journey from Jericho and he's, he's exhausted and she wants to meet his every need. She wants to make sure that this is a special time for Jesus. But Martha was distracted. She was distracted by something very good. She was distracted by serving Jesus. Is it possible for us to get distracted by good things in life? It could be by our career. And maybe our intention with our career is that I'm going to earn money so that I can give it to God's work. And I, I need to support my family. God's called me to do this. But that career can become a distraction. It could be that we're distracted even here at church. We have so many tasks. We're a part of this ministry and that ministry. And we each Sabbath come and we open up the church and we do so many things for Jesus. But possibly we're distracted. Martha was distracted by much serving. She was doing what seemed like the best possible thing. What made sense to her to be doing. But she was distracted, it says. Martha was distracted with much serving, and so she decides to approach Jesus. It makes sense to her why she's doing these things, and and shouldn't Jesus see that this is important, what she's doing? So she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus, look at Mary. She's, She's just sitting there. She's being lazy. Can you tell her to come and help me? I'm trying to help you, Jesus. Why don't you have Martha help you, help me? Jesus' response is powerful. Verse 41. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. I imagine that many of us this morning are worried and troubled about many things. 
Sometimes we come to church and it's difficult even to focus because we have so many concerns, so many things that are going on in our life. And when we come here and we sit here, it can be hard to focus because we're worried and we're troubled. We're thinking about so many different things in our life. We're thinking about our family. We're thinking about that difficult problem at work. We're thinking about the financial struggles that we're up against. And it can be difficult to focus. We can be worried and troubled. We can be distracted by all the stuff in life. And look at what Jesus says to Martha. Verse 42. Don't miss this. Verse 42. But one thing is needed. How many things are needed? But one thing. Thing is needed. Here is the Son of God on earth saying to Martha, there's only one thing you need. So I need to pay attention here. One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. What was Mary doing? Mary was sitting at his feet, listening to his word. Mary was fixated on Jesus, and not just on Jesus, but on the words that were coming to her. She was fixated on the teachings that were coming from Jesus, and Jesus' teachings were taking root in her heart. They were transforming her life. Go with me to 2 Peter in chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. Here we find something powerful about the Word of God. Sorry, actually, 1 Peter in chapter 1, verse 23. You know, when I think about loving, when I think about becoming a person who loves God with all my heart, I don't know how to change my heart. My heart can be hard. My heart can can not be full of love like I want it to be. Starting in verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, Through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. This is the natural fruit of loving God with all of our hearts. Peter says, love one another fervently from a pure heart. Well, that's easier said than done. When when the people you're dealing with get on your nerves, when they're they're not the kind of people that are really loving, lovable, how do you actually love them? It goes on to say this. Having been born again, having been given a brand new life, having been given a second chance in life, having been born again, how? How is one born again? Verse 23 says, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. God's word is like seed, it tells us. It's like incorruptible seed. When you go and you plant good seed in your garden, you know that when spring comes, that flower is going to come up and that it's going to produce a plant or that that fruit tree is going to come and it's going to produce the fruit that you're looking for. When it's a good seed, it's going to produce fruit. And the Bible tells us that the Word of God is like seed, seed that is planted in our heart. And that seed will produce fruit. See, Mary was fixated on Jesus. And as Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, she heard some amazing teachings. I can only guess what the teachings were, but maybe it was like, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Maybe she heard things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Maybe she heard things like, don't be anxious about tomorrow. I care for the the lilies of the valley and I'm also going to take care of you. And so when Mary went through difficult things in her life, she knew how to handle it because she had fixated herself on the word of God. She'd taken time in the word and that word was beginning to grow and it was beginning to bear fruit in her life. And Mary fell in love with Jesus because she'd received his word, because she'd sat at the feet of Jesus. I realized that in my life, if I want to fall in love with God, if I want to love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my mind, then I need to sit at the feet of Jesus. It was back about 10 years ago now when I was down at La Sierra University. I was a business major. I had a lot of different focuses in my life. I was in a a long-term relationship that wasn't the healthiest relationship. I thought I was going to get married. I thought I was going to become a rich millionaire and retire young and, and then maybe serve God, maybe become even a missionary to Africa after I made it off in life. But I began to sense that something was missing. Began to sense that I needed a change in my life. And so I knew from my growing up years that I I needed to take that time with Jesus. My parents were really good about explaining this and about modeling it. I'd wake up in the morning and I'd see the light on in my mom's study and my dad's study. And I would see them in there with their Bibles. I'd see them on their knees in prayer. And I knew that there was something there, that, that, that this was important. And so when I was there at La Sierra, I began to wake up early in the morning. And at first I was kind of sheepish about it because my roommates were there in the room and I'd kind of pull out my Bible and begin reading and hope they didn't wake up to see me reading my Bible. Day by day, I'd just read maybe a chapter in Psalms. I'd, I'd read one proverb a day. Proverbs is, is a great book to read, so much wisdom, and it's, it's a powerful thing. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs, and usually 30 d- days in a month are 31. So if you read just for the day you're on, you'll go through Proverbs, and you can read it through each month. Somebody told me that. I recognized that my heart was hard at that point, and I I recognized that I needed to learn a lot more about love, and so I began to read 1 Corinthians 13, and I would just read that over and over every single day, just read 1 Corinthians 13. You know, I didn't change a lot of things in my life right away. I was still living in that old life. I still didn't always go to church. I ended up going some other places instead that weren't very healthy. I was still making a lot of bad choices in my life, but... I was sitting at the feet of Jesus each morning and I was letting the word come into my heart. And as I sat at the feet of Jesus, his word began to change my heart. I began to not love that old life anymore. And little by little, I began to realize that I wanted out of that life. I wanted a new life. I wanted the life that was described by Jesus through the Bible. You know, we think of of the words of Jesus as only those words that are in red print in the Gospels. But Jesus, what did he tell the Pharisees? He said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have life, but these are they which testify of me. The entire Bible is to point us to Jesus. It's to take us on a journey of knowing Jesus better. And as I began to sit at the feet of Jesus, as I began to take that time with Jesus, I realized that my heart was being changed. It was being transformed by the love of Jesus. And this is what took place in the life of Mary. 
Mary sat at Jesus' feet, and as she listened to Jesus' word, Jesus' word began to plant those seeds in her heart. Now, don't get me wrong. Today, some, some mornings, I'll wake up in the morning, and I'll, I'll be reading through the Bible, and maybe I read a chapter, two chapters, three chapters, four chapters. And sometimes, have you ever felt this way? You say, well, I don't know that I really got anything out of the Bible this morning. I don't know that it really made any difference for me this morning. What did the Bible say in 1 Peter 1 and verse 23? It is incorruptible seed. When you take this word and you implant it in your heart, you let God put it in your heart, as you sit at the feet of Jesus, it will bear fruit in your life. Especially when we come to the word and we sit at the feet of Jesus. We take that position of a disciple, a, dis- a position of learning, a position where we're not here to dissect the Word of God. We're not here to stand over the Word of God, but we let the Word of God dissect us. We let the Word of God reveal our hearts and transform our lives, and we humble ourselves before the Word of God. It transforms our lives. This is what happened in the life of Mary. Here she comes from a person who's filled with seven demons. She probably lived a life of harlotry. She, she was the opposite of what you would expect to see of a disciple of Jesus. But yet we read in Luke chapter 7 and 8 that she was the one who ended up being one of the closest supporters of Jesus. She was the one who was funding Jesus out of her own personal resources. We've talked multiple times about how she was the one who anointed Jesus with that precious oil. Mary was fixated on Jesus. Mary wanted to be with Jesus. And when we fixate ourselves on the word of God, it transforms our lives. Look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse 23. Jesus gives an incredible promise about what takes place when we allow the word of God into our lives. Jesus actually comes close to us with his presence. You see, Mary just wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. To, to be in his presence brought her fullness of joy. It, it took care of her worries, her concerns, her troubles. She wasn't worried and troubled like Martha was because she sat at the feet of Jesus. John chapter 14 and verse 23 says, Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my what? My word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. When you sit at Jesus' feet, when you receive his word into your life, that seed, it brings the presence of Jesus into your life. It will fill your heart with the presence and love of Jesus. Mary loved Jesus. She was fixated on Jesus, so much so that that we watch as we get down to the final hours of Jesus' life, and she is right there. As we go to the cross, we read that Mary was one of the women who was standing and watching as Jesus was there on the cross. She was there with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she's one of the Marys who's mentioned as being there at the cross. She's mentioned that as Jesus was taken down from the cross by Joseph of Arimathea and was taken and and laid in a tomb. It says that Mary stood watching by to see where Jesus was laid. She just wanted to be where Jesus was. She just wanted, even though her master had been put on a tree, had died, and she didn't understand what had happened, she wanted to know where was Jesus, 
Where was Jesus going to be buried? And she wanted to be as close to Jesus as she could. So we find her all the way up until the Sabbath hours that she's right there at the tomb watching Jesus be laid in that tomb. And then the Sabbath hours come. But watch what happens in John chapter 21. Mary loved the presence of Jesus. Mary wanted to be as close to Jesus as possible. Sorry, John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. It's Sunday morning. It's been the long Sabbath hours. And here's Mary on Sunday morning in verse 1 of chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark. When did she go to the tomb? She went there early. She went there while it was still dark. Mary couldn't wait to get close to Jesus. She said, I have to go back to the tomb. I have to go back to the last place that I saw Jesus. I just want to be close to Jesus. Even if he was crucified, even if he's laying dead in a tomb, I just want to go back to the last place that I saw Jesus. And so Mary gets up early. It's still dark. And she's headed to find Jesus. She sees as it continues, that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Where is Jesus? I don't know where Jesus is. She runs to tell Jesus' closest disciples, I don't know where they've taken him. I don't know where Jesus is. Continues, and John describes this race that takes place as Peter and John run to the tomb as fast as they can. Verse 5, and he, and he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there. So the disciples come, and they see that the tomb is indeed empty, just like Mary said. They go to inside the tomb, and there they see the grave cloths lying there, and they see that Jesus is really gone. Then in verse 8, it says, then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. They're satisfied. They come back to the tomb. They see that Jesus isn't there. They see that, that something has happened, and so they decide we're going back to our own homes. They go back about their business. They're done looking for Jesus. But Mary is not done looking for Jesus. Mary is fixated on Jesus. Mary wants to be close to Jesus. Mary's obsession is to know Jesus. That's the one thing in her life that mattered, was to know Jesus. Verse 11, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. She doesn't know where Jesus is, but she knows the last place that she saw Jesus. And so she's just there at the tomb and she's weeping. She's saying, where have they taken Jesus? She's still looking for Jesus. She wants to be close to Jesus. She's fixated on one thing, and the one thing is Jesus. Verse 12, and she saw two angels in white, sitting one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. 
14. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Here Mary is, she's in such turmoil, she's in such agony, wondering where they've taken Jesus that she, she's blinded by tears and she doesn't even recognize that there stands Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She recognized that voice. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. And get this, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. There is only one person that Jesus stops by on the way to the Father to tell that he is risen from the grave. And that is Mary who is fixated on Jesus. Mary who woke up early, who got up while it was still dark and said, I just need to get to where Jesus was. And Mary who comes to the tomb and who goes and tells the disciples but then comes back and won't leave until she finds Jesus. She's not willing to have it any other way. She has to know where Jesus is and she won't leave. The disciples leave. They go back about their business but Mary is still there looking for Jesus. And because of Mary's persistence, because Mary is seeking Jesus with all of her heart, Jesus is found by her. Jesus comes and reveals himself to her. Here, Jesus is on his way and he has an important mission. He needs to go to the Father to make sure that his sacrifice is accepted. He needs to make sure that what has taken place will provide forgiveness for sins. But first, he stops by to see Mary because Mary wants to see Jesus. Mary is fixated on Jesus and Mary is seeking Jesus with all of her heart. It's incredible to think that that Jesus would stop by just to see Mary, just to let her know, I'm risen from the grave. Go and tell the other disciples. Go and tell those that are kind of distracted. They're on about their business. They're hiding in the upper room. Go and tell them, I am risen from the grave. What an incredible privilege Mary had. And it was because she was fixated on Jesus. She was fixated on Jesus' word. And I've come to realize in my own life, I have to be fixated on Jesus. I have to be constantly focused on his word. The more that I can get of it, the better. I've come to realize that that has to be my first thought when I wake up in the morning. What is your first thought when you wake up in the morning? You know, when I wake up, sometimes I don't feel very loving. Sometimes I feel completely unconverted when I wake up in the morning. And I realize that I need the presence of Jesus. That has to be my first thought when I wake up in the morning is, give me Jesus. There's a beautiful promise in Isaiah 50 and verse 4. And in that promise, it it describes a prophecy about Jesus where it says that he's given the tongue of the wise to sustain a weary one with a word and then it it says this he awakens me morning by morning he awakens my ear to hear as a disciple I've come to claim this promise each and every day I used to think people that claim this promise were kind of crazy 
that, that they would ask God to wake them up each and every morning, but I've realized that I have to start my day sitting at the feet of Jesus. And sometimes I don't know if I have enough time to, to take to spend with Jesus. I don't know how much time I'm going to need, but if I pray that prayer and I say, God, will you wake me up tomorrow morning? Wake me up however early. And sometimes it's just like when Mary went to look for Jesus. It's dark. It's pretty early in the morning. And I think, right now, Jesus, you really want me to take the time now? But as I take the time to sit at his feet, to learn of Jesus, to receive his word, it begins to change my heart. Friends, I want to invite you to go on a journey of loving Jesus with all of your heart. About a hundred years ago, there was written in the book, Education, a clear description of the world that we're living in. It says on page 260, an intensity such as never before was seen is taking possession of the world. In amusement, in money-making, in the contest for power, in the very struggle for existence, there is a terrible force that engrosses body and mind and soul. Have you noticed it? There's a maddening rush. There's so much distraction, so much going on in this world. In the midst of this maddening rush, God is speaking and he bids us come apart and commune with him. Be still and know that I am God. Many, even in their seasons of devotion, fail of receiving the blessing of real communion with God. They are in too great of haste. With hurried steps, they press through the circle of Christ's loving presence, pausing perhaps a moment within the sacred precincts, but not waiting for counsel. They're distracted, kind of like Martha. They're like the disciples who go back about their business. They're not fixated on Jesus. They're not willing to stay until they've received the love of Jesus. They have no time to remain with a divine teacher. With their burdens, they return to their work. Not a pause for a moment in his presence, but personal contact with Christ. To sit down in companionship with him, this is our need. Our need is to sit at the feet of Jesus. Because this is where it all begins. This is where the seed is planted in our heart that leads us to love Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Do you want to go on a journey of being fixated on Jesus? Do you want to sit at his feet every day and not leave until you know that you've had communion with your master, until you know that his word is being planted in your heart? I want to recommit to that today. I want to commit to praying every day, Isaiah 50 and verse 4. Lord, wake me up tomorrow morning, however early in the morning it might be, but wake me up to spend time with you. You might be surprised. It might be 2 a.m., might be 3 a.m., maybe it'll be 5 a.m., but like Sam Viegas shared last week, his life has been turned upside down by getting up at 4 a.m. and spending time with God every day. My life has been transformed. I wouldn't be standing here today but for having taken that time to sit at Jesus' feet. There's nothing like sitting at the feet of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, that is our prayer. Give us Jesus. Give us a heart to know Jesus. Give us that same obsession that Paul had to count all things to be lost in comparison to knowing Jesus. 
please help us to be fixated on you. Help us to receive your word day by day. Give you permission to wake us up in the morning, to give us that opportunity to simply sit at your feet. Please pour out your Holy Spirit on us this Sabbath. Bless each and every one of my friends here as they go out this week to know more of Jesus, to be filled with more of your love. Lord, as they sit at your feet this week, may they be transformed by the love of Jesus. I pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.